Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dollcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Had a very special episode of the Dollcast this week. We had our friend Graham Hall from Swamp 247 come on to talk about Georgia, Florida, to talk about this year's matchup, to also talk about Jacksonville and the future of the game down there in the city, uh, whether that game might be a home-and-home before we get much farther down the road. Um, it was a very interesting conversation talking about this year's Florida team, what is going on with Billy Napier. And at the end of the episode, we gave predictions and what we thought we we're going to see uh, once the game kicks off at 3.30 on Saturday. So with that, I'll throw it to this episode. Enjoy. Welcome everybody to a very collaborative edition of not only the Junkyard Dogcast, but Swamp 247, kind of doing a crossover episode. We've done a couple of these so far this season. I am Jordan Hill with Dogs 247. I got with me Graham Hall from Swamp 247. Graham, how is this Thursday treating you, especially knowing sort of the calm before the storm that's coming up for us on Saturday? Yeah, this is really the lull right here for Florida before they head into this really kind of a iconic weekend in a sense. You know, players have talked often about making this trip, whether they're from around the state, whether they play at Florida. This has kind of been a one that's been on everyone's radar, and now to actually kind of see it to come to fruition, you know, Anthony Richardson talked about it in the beginning of the week. There's a little bit of butterflies here, and in the build up to this contest here, because it's such an exciting, unique event. Graham, I'll start with you, and the way I sort of envision this episode, we we can each take turns, kind of talking about the teams, talking about sort of our expectations, and then later on in the episode, we can sort of give our predictions, what we expect to see, and and what needs to go right for both teams in this game. Uh, and I'll start with you. Just we had talked about this a few days ago, talking about you know very much a new era in Gainesville with Billy Napier going through his first season. Um, what's sort of been your view of how this first season has gone for him? And two, you know, the importance of this first game against Georgia for Billy. I think absolutely that expectations had to be tempered a little bit coming into this year, and Billy Napier did, I think, a really good job of doing just that. Since he arrived on campus, he said that he was going to take a patient approach from the recruiting perspective. You know, he wasn't going to rush out there and try and sign a makeshift class at the end there. He was going to see how everything played out after early signing day. And that's really kind of been the message from him throughout his time in Gainesville, his 11 months here so far. He said that Florida really needed to build depth outside of the starting units. They had to get rid of bad habits from the past, whether it's a, you know, undisciplined penalty, a tackling miscue in the open field, blown assignment, whatever it was, Florida had a lot to work on. And he also, I think, was a little bit honest that it wasn't really going to be an overnight type fix. And then the Utah game happens and people get really excited again, thinking that maybe a coaching change can lead to Florida being back in the national conversation here, so to speak. And I think that now that we've seen SEC play play out to this point, through the bye week and heading into this and you know final week of uh October here for Florida Georgia you kind of had had those uh expectations readjusted uh, a bit here but if you go back and look at Billy Napier even at his first year at Louisiana it was not an overnight fix and I think that the next three years bode well for success and it's kind of keeping people to stay patient and see that and see the gradual improvements that Florida is making rather than putting all their eggs in a basket for this season and expecting them to be back on top of the SEC right now. And I think that you clearly see that this is a coach in just his fifth year as a head coach, 
some improvements to continue making on that front. I think that he's been honest about that, putting players in the right situation to be successful, utilizing them best, especially when you inherit a bunch of players that you didn't necessarily scout on the recruiting trail. There can kind of be an adjustment period. It doesn't just become something that you master after spring and into fall camp. And for him, until he gets his full classes in here, all of his own players, I think you're still going to see a little bit of that. So Florida's still right in the middle of a rebuild here. But I think that when you look around at at certainly what Georgia has done with Kirby Smart uh, since that he's been there, you look at what Josh Heupel is doing in Knoxville, certainly if you can stay patient with a coach through the first year, maybe even through year two, that it's going to pay off for you. And, And Florida fans are right now in the thick of that mindset. I want to ask you, because I'm sure that you have kind of um, studied Georgia this week, getting ready for this game. What is your big question or some of your biggest questions about Georgia going into this game? I think defensively, that's one that a lot of Florida fans I are not really certain of. And I think even reporters who are kind of in their own bubble in the SEC cities and don't really follow the day-to-day and the injury situation and where things stand from a communication standpoint and what a team's defense is prone to giving up, they really kind of have, I think, certain questions about what they're going to be facing. And I think that's really true of Georgia right now. You talked often last year about this all-time type defense, right? And then they go through something that coaches like Kirby Smart and Dabo Swinney have experienced where they have transition on their coaching staff. They have to bring new guys in. They have to kind of have seamless turnover here while replacing a lot of people on your staff and losing a lot of guys from either side of the ball. And that's something that Georgia, how they've weathered that, I think is something that not many people are too clear of. When they were on national TV, right when Florida was going through the hurricane game a couple of weeks prior where they weren't playing on a Saturday night so they could sit around and kind of watch the rest of the Saturday slate unfold, That was kind of Georgia's low point of the season, right? That Missouri game that many argue they could have lost there in Columbia if it weren't for, you know, the the late successful plays. And I think the experience and and talent differential on those two rosters definitely kind of became an overwhelming aspect in that game. They were kind of on the ropes here. So I think that there's a little bit of uncertainty over how good this Georgia defense really is, so to speak, right now. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, there are questions about that outside of the program. And, you know, Graham, we're kind of wondering the same thing. And it's a lot to do, in my opinion, with the schedule Georgia's played. I mean, there's no denying that their schedule this season is backloaded. And that wasn't, you know, by design or anything like that. It's just how it happened and how we've seen teams kind of come on. Um, You know, they knew coming into this year that they had a tall task on defense. They had a situation where they were replacing eight starters. And you think about so many of those guys that are, uh, you know, five of them were drafted in the first round of the, of April's draft. And, you know, several other ones are, um, you know, with an opportunity to play in the NFL. And so far, for the most part, this, de- this defense has risen to the occasion. You know, this defense has done a good job, giving up a few explosive plays here and there, uh, but nothing, nothing crazy. You know, they've done a good job these last, Two games, they've given up a total of 10 points. And I know, you know, you, you have to consider the opposition. You got an Auburn team that very much looks like is going to wind up firing Brian Harson at some point this fall. And then you got a Vanderbilt team that, you know, might be making some strides under Clark Lee, but I think has still got a ways to go. Um, but this defense, I think we're going to learn a lot about them. 
really starting with this Florida game, you know, everybody wants to look ahead and understandably so. I mean, Tennessee, you know, everybody kind of sees that as, you know, potentially a, a game that'll decide who's playing in Atlanta and, and maybe who winds up making the playoff. But, you know, this is a very strong four string of games for this Georgia defense specifically playing Florida, playing Tennessee, playing at Mississippi State, a game that, you know, I said before this season was the game I circled as, okay, if you tell me at the end of the year, okay, Georgia went 11-1 and one, and I'm not looking at the schedule, I probably would have said, well, they lost on the road to Mississippi State just because how that offense goes and especially with it being on the road. And two years ago when Georgia played, obviously a lot of different personnel on both teams, you know, two years removed. Uh, you know, Mike Leach and, and a freshman Will Rogers, they gave Georgia all they could handle. I think that final was 31-24, um, very close game. But then after that, you go to Kentucky. So um, we're going to learn a lot about this defense. You know, we written, uh, we wrote stories during the bye week, um, you know, looking ahead, talking about these next few games and saying, what are we most interested in? And for me, it's the defense. It's the pass rush, which – you know, has has pressured opposing quarterbacks, but not done a very good job of getting them to the ground. Only seven sacks in seven games. It's uh, the cornerbacks. You know, they they've got Keely Ringo, who I think is a really talented guy, and uh, is a guy that obviously made that huge play in the national title game. But he's had his moments where he's given up plays. He he had a really rough showing two weeks ago against Vanderbilt, and then you've got Kamari Laster, who is a first time starter this season uh, at the other corner spot that has also had issues that got pulled at one point in that Vanderbilt game for a missed tackle. And uh, Kirby smart was in his ear and you kind of read between the lines, sort of what uh, the message he was getting across. So, you know, I, I think this defense is good. You know, at the start of the year, there were legitimate questions from people because of how they started the year, because of how they beat Oregon and because of how they beat South Carolina. Could this overall team actually be better than the 2021 team? And, you know, I, I, you know, I thought maybe you could make that argument for the offense. I thought it was a little premature to really even consider that for the defense just because, I mean, they lost five first-round picks on the defense alone. Um, and, and we've seen it kind of come back, but still, um, they've put together seven strong games. But I, I think we're going to learn a whole lot more starting with Saturday, uh, specifically with this defense and what they can bring to the table. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, I think, you know, because you look at a Florida offense that really has made some plays, some explosive plays, absolutely, especially in the run game. You know, Montrell Johnson, a sophomore who followed Billy Napier from Louisiana, he has Florida's longest uh, run of the season as a running back. They've, you know, shuffled in Trevor Etienne. Many people may know that name, the younger brother of Travis Etienne the former Clemson running back now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that when you look at what Florida has to do in the passing game, it is, I think, take advantage of a defense that maybe isn't necessarily expecting pass. And in today's game where the RPO is such a critical element of the offense where, where, you know, it's hard to even gauge whether if it's a design pass play or not, whether that's a design run, I think that Florida has to do a lot of that because when Anthony Richardson gets into obvious passing downs where it's third and long and a team can just drop eight and try and get pressure with a three-man rush, he has struggled to put the ball on the money there this season. He really has to, I think, continue improving mechanically and with his decision-making right now. You know, you go back to that game last year even, I, I know that some of those turnovers weren't necessarily his fault you know namely that fumble I mean he was 
trying to pick up extra yards there and extend the drive. But that 50 yard, uh, you know, pick six by Nicobe Dean. I mean, that was him completely zeroing in on his first read. And you saw that again this season later. I mean, that just shows, I think, what the guy needs to continue working on right now. And, and that's protecting the football and not not zeroing in on his primary target right off the bat here. So against a Georgia defense that if they can take advantage of him in the second and third levels and stop the run on the stop the run on first and second down, they're really going to have an advantage in this game here. And Florida's going to struggle to extend drives. You know, they brought in Ricky Pearsall and returned Justin Shorter in the offseason and then made a whole lot of a conversation about utilizing a lot of more 12 man formation with two tight ends on the field. Well, really, neither one of those tight ends is a, really a pass-catching threat necessarily. I mean, Keon Zipper has had made a few plays, but Dante Zandris has been used fairly a block in this Florida offense. And I think that when you factor that in, it's, it's going to be pretty easy for Georgia to try and stack the box in on the first two downs and make Richardson have to make a throw there or get outside the pocket and make something happen with his legs. and. I think that that's really Florida's best option in a sense here. If Richardson can use his dynamic athletic ability to create outside the play, then I think Florida obviously is going to have a chance in this game if they can keep up and, and score that way. But it's going to absolutely take a sound game from Richardson, explosive plays in the backfield, and protecting the football, which is something that it's a package that Florida has, I think, struggled to put all together this season at times, although we've seen uh, glimpses of each element throughout this season to this point. Yeah, Kirby Smart really harped on how much improvement he's seen from Richardson and just the progress he's made that Kirby said he felt like he's made since game one this year. He, he gave a lot of credit to Billy Napier and, and what he has seen as far as improvement. Um, you know, it, it's a situation, too, for Georgia going into this game, I think there's a lot of questions, as we talked a few minutes ago, about the defense, particularly with, you know, as we sit here and talk on Thursday afternoon, it sounds very questionable as if Jalen Carter, Georgia's defensive tackle, a guy a guy you could make the argument might be Georgia's best player on either side of the ball if he's going to play. And so there's a question on that defense. But I, I do have a lot of questions as far as just intrigue, I should say probably, about what this offense looks like. What exactly – this Georgia offense is going to do to try to attack Florida. You know, I think this is, uh, and Graham, feel free to jump in if uh, you disagree, but, you know, I think this Florida defense is vulnerable in spots. And I think that, you know, Georgia has done a very good job, I think, in the last few games, you know, had the bye week last week, of getting a little bit more balanced. I wouldn't say it's exactly 50-50, but that Oregon game, they came out and, and just decided that they were going to, uh, you know, air it out and let Setson Bennett show off his arm and he did a very good job of it and played what he said after that game was probably his best complete game. Um, but since that game, they've done a better and better job of really getting the running backs involved. Um, you know, had some of the guys a little bit farther down on the depth chart, Dejon Edwards, true freshman, Branson Robinson, getting those guys involved as well. I, I'm intrigued to see if we see them try to really lean on the run game, knowing that they've got those backs looking good. Now, in number one tailback, uh, Kenny McIntosh, he was banged up a little bit uh, in September and had a chance to talk to him last night in interviews. And he said, you know, I'm feeling good, especially coming off that bye week. I thought he looked much better in that Vanderbilt game, just as far as the progress he's made. To me, it seems like there's an opportunity for Georgia to run the ball and run the ball well. 
but also you've got those tight ends who, again, I go back to before the season, Darnell Washington was asked, you know, describe these tight ends. And he said one word and it was mismatch. And I just, you know, I'm very intrigued to see what Florida is able to do if they decide, you know, we are going to run the ball, but we've got these tight ends, Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. And we're just going to see if uh, this Florida defense can do anything to stop them. I think you go back to Florida's first game of the season against Utah, and that was, I think, a very comparable offense in a sense here. And, and that's not to say necessarily that Florida is going to come out here and shock the world. But I think that when you look at what Utah likes to do, having a mobile quarterback who can get outside the pocket and also having a tight end tandem that is one of the best in the country, obviously up there with the Bulldogs, you know, Dalton Kincaid, great talent and what they were able to do against Florida in the second level, especially. And when you, you know, you got those, uh, you know, the, the guys jammed at the line of scrimmage and the tight ends able to get free and a linebacker's got to pick them up. Florida has absolutely struggled in coverage scenarios in, in that front. I think that, you know, they have some experienced guys certainly there. Ventro Miller is a very, very, you know, sound talent, especially um, when it comes to making the tackle and knowing where the play is going to go. Um, but in terms of pass coverage, you know, there has been times where either he has been taken advantage of or a guy like Amari Bernie has been out of position or, or really is just not from a physical standpoint able to cover a six foot five, six foot six tight end with that amount of physicality and, and you know, vertical ability. I think that that is absolutely a mismatch. And when you have a guy like, you know, Brock Bowers, that is going to be an absolute weapon to watch on Saturday. That is someone who is just massive, um, great hands, obviously, and then extremely uh, quick in the open field, you know, hard to tackle. And for a team that has tackling issues and coverage issues in a sense here, Florida's, I think, really going to struggle. You know, go back to Florida's most recent game prior to the bye week. Jaden Daniels, I know, you know, he has kind of had an up and down career at times, but when you take out really that COVID year where they only played four games there at Arizona State and then last year where their offense was just kind of all over the place and and he really was kind of not himself there, you know, he had success as a true freshman, first true freshman to ever start at Arizona State, and he had 24 touchdowns, three interceptions his first year, nearly 3,000 yards. He goes to Gainesville this past week and has six total touchdowns, a career high in that game. I mean, Florida could not stop the Tigers. And so now they're facing a more experienced quarterback who a national championship winning quarterback with arguably better weapons in my mind. Uh, It's hard to see a way forward where Florida, unless they can capitalize on some Georgia mistakes, come away with some turnovers. It's, it's hard to see them really winning. Um, a shootout here necessarily in in stopping Georgia's offense. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on what will be the key if this game is close is if Georgia turns the ball over, you know, we had talked about this and I'm sure the people uh, who are reading dogs, two, four, seven and swamp two, four, seven as well. You know, we've done a a Q and a exchange that'll go up. And the thing to me about when Georgia struggled, it was all about the turnovers against Kent state, which, even in that Kent State game, you never, ever really had the sense of they may get beat, but it was more of a, like a, huh, like this is closer. This is not the, you know, it was probably like a 45-point spread, something like that. It was like, well, this isn't going to be that, and it was because of early turnovers. They have 
three turnovers in, you know, probably 18, 19 minutes of game action in that game. And then had two turnovers early against Missouri that very much put them uh, with their back against the wall. So I, I think that's a key point as far as ton- turnovers and something to watch when we get into Saturday. Um, we will take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit about Jacksonville, just the the history of this game and more importantly, the future of this game. Uh, but then also talk about predictions for Saturday, what needs to go right for either team. And uh, then we'll give some score predictions. So uh, we'll be right back and get right back into it. Welcome back, everybody. Well, yeah, we had talked about this, Graham, actually on one of the College Football Daily podcasts this week. And it's been a big topic, <coughs> excuse me, of discussion. And it's been the, you know, the, the future of this game. If we think this game is going to stay in Jacksonville, um, it's been something Kirby Smart has talked about quite a bit. Um, and, and on Monday, we sort of got a little bit of news with both schools putting out a joint statement, essentially saying, you know, we talk about um, extending the contract, you know, once the current contract's up, you know, we're focused on right now. Um, they have the option to get it uh, through 2025, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, it's been very intriguing, you know, to hear perspective and to hear thoughts uh, about this rivalry, the fact it's been in Jacksonville for so long. Um, Graham, what's your feel for what playing this game in Jacksonville means? Just, you know, I guess more for anyone, just Florida's fan base having the game in Jacksonville. And what do you think we will see as far as the future of this rivalry? Jacksonville is a really nice destination. I think that a lot of people can make the case that, especially Florida makes this case, that, you know, the Gator Nation is everywhere, so to speak. And with 400,000 plus graduates from the University of Florida, um, right at right now out there, a lot of them have settled right around Gainesville being close enough. And I think this is, you know, a big enough city that it's going to procure a lot of people to travel for the game, come at, from out of town. It does a lot for the city of Jacksonville itself. And it increases, I think, the relationship between Gainesville and Jacksonville, which is already pretty strong. When you look at the amount of Gator players that have wound up there in recent years, kind of how they have a little propensity for holding the talent to a high regard in Gainesville. There's a, I think, desire to have this unofficial partnership continue. But when we were at SEC Media Days, I think that you saw this is the first real window for Georgia to take advantage of maybe a change from the contract coming up to having a new athletic director, the one who didn't make this handshake agreement between previous athletic directors that neither team was going to bring recruits for this game here. and when you see that now Georgia is the home team and has the chance to take advantage of that, they choose to do so. And I think continue to widen the gap in an era of college football right now, where coaches are consistently looking at how that gap has narrowed in the NIL era. And when you can take advantage of a recruiting weekend, you're absolutely going to try and do that. If you are a head coach, whether it's even jeopardizing the tradition at a place like Florida, Georgia, in in some coaches' eyes, knowing that they are often coaching for their legacy, coaching for their jobs sometimes, I think that you have to weigh all avenues. And if you can get more coaches, or excuse me, more prospects and their families to come to your city and host them and better your odds of landing them, I think that you're going to look for ways to do that. And it makes sense from that standpoint. We kind of have this situation at Florida where Florida wasn't really willing 
to comment early on to those reports coming out and they haven't really made many public comments. Billy Napier, when he was asked about it at SEC Media Day, said that he wanted to experience the game first, really before going out there and saying, hey, I think it should be moved. He's understanding of the history. He grew up in Georgia. He has family that have attended it while he hasn't attended it himself. He's aware that it's a tradition-based event. And this is something that people from the state of Florida, a lot of players who end up at Gainesville, they know players who go and play in this game. They talk about crossing the bridge and seeing the stadium. There's, I think, you know, like I said, a lot of history here. that doesn't want to be disregarded here. So you're kind of at a crossroads where whether they're weighing that or a competitive advantage in an altering landscape. And I think that you're going to have to come to some type of agreement where moving forward, both teams can host players and their families, or you're going to be at risk, I think, of losing the support from the programs for that necessarily. And that's not something that Jacksonville, I think, wants to risk. So I think that you'll see a change in the future. I don't know when that will occur. But right now, Georgia will have players. They'll be able to leave tickets for prospects at the game, which is the latest change in a, in a absolutely great rivalry in my mind. And it adds a little bit of a layer of intrigue here, especially knowing that Florida is coming out of a bye week. They're playing this game, and then they go on the road to College Station before returning to Gainesville. That's a month without being able to host official visitors uh, in a very critical stretch right now. So certainly – I think both teams can have an argument for why they would like to have this game, one where you can host recruits and their families. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny, you know, fans on our board, I know a few people have pointed out, uh, you know, that a, a big part of the push in Kirby's mind when he's talked about this is the recruiting advantage of being able to have it home and home. And, uh, you know, we've had fans say, I mean, we're pulling in the second and the third best, you know, top five, you know, obviously um, – usually pushing for that number one class, like what else do we need? But it's about getting every advantage you can get. And, you know, I think Georgia is going to get a sense of, you know, what this game could be next week with Tennessee coming to town, especially if Tennessee takes care of business and beats Kentucky and Georgia also does that against Florida. They're talking about this is going to be a very hyped situation as far as the amount of recruits that are on uh, campus and, and that situation. That's what they want this game to be. And, you know, I kind of go back and forth with how I feel just personally having followed this rivalry, uh, what I want to see, because I obviously understand that going to Jacksonville means a lot to to both fan bases. But, you know, I, I've told this to many people that, you know, when I talk to beat riders from different teams and say, you know, what's the loudest stadium you've ever heard? The Swamp is usually number one. If it's not number one, it's in the top three. And, you know, I've never had a chance to go there because when I would have gone with Georgia, it's always been played in Jacksonville, um, and I think fans want that. Georgia safety Chris Smith talked about that. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to money. If, uh, you know, this could wind up being nothing more than, you know, essentially an opportunity to get more money from Jacksonville. Jacksonville may understand, you know, the city of Jacksonville may understand um, that there is the potential for this rivalry to leave and, you know, maybe sweeten the pot a little bit more. You know, it's, it's hard to say at this point, but I will say I do understand you know, fans that want to see um, the rivalry stay in Jacksonville. But, you know, especially right now, I think it's never been in more question as far as what will happen. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. And whether that's recency bias or not, I guess we'll be we'll have a determination about whether that's the case in the near future. But I'm I'm with you. I haven't been to Athens. I think that when you look at this rivalry 
part of one of the joys of the SEC is being able to experience other cities in the conference um, where you can actually go and visit the school and see a lot of the elements that make, you know, make it why the fans of that place love being back there. You, you I think, get a little further appreciation for how good this conference is when you go and visit a school. And so I think for Florida fans and for Georgia fans, that would be something that would add a new layer to it. If they could tailgate on each other's campuses and experience why Florida fans are so passionate and camp out at 6 a.m. outside a lake filled with gators to go, you know, stand at a 7 p.m. football game and still have the energy to scream, won't back down at the end of the third quarter. I mean, getting a taste of the passion. And, you know, as you mentioned, the Swamp is a historic venue right now, especially the way it's constructed, how loud those fans can be with 90,000 plus. It's not even uh, the highest capacity in the SEC. And in my opinion, having been to Tennessee, been to a lot of places, it certainly outweighs um, a lot of other venues right now and how loud it was. I mean, Auburn fans in 2019 were talking about how the Wi-Fi boxes under the seats must be speakers. It was so loud. So allowing Florida fans to go to Athens and experience Sanford Stadium, allowing Bulldogs fans to come to Gainesville and see the swamp. I think that there's absolutely some cases to be made for both of those, but we'll see if that comes to fruition. Yeah, I, I will say that uh, if they ever do make it a home and home, I, I will be very excited to hear a little Tom Petty. I'm never going to turn down an opportunity to hear that. Uh, looking ahead to Saturday's game, you know, kind of an interesting situation with the fact that Georgia is a 22 and a half point favorite. A lot of points, you know, obviously it's a situation um, where, you know, people see what Georgia has done so far and, and some of the question marks on the Florida side. I'll start with you, Graham, and then I will pick up after you. I'm talking more about Georgia, but for Florida, for Florida to be in this game, for this to be a four-quarter game, what do you feel like needs to go right? What has to break Florida's way for this to be a close game on Saturday? Well, they're going to have to get some turnovers on the defensive end. I think that first and foremost, if they can find a way to get off the field on third down, whether that's through a stop, a turnover, that's going to have to be the case for here, for this Florida team here on Saturday. You know, you go back to last season, how that was a game there until Florida's mistakes made it not the case. If, if they can capitalize on that, if Anthony Richardson can extend drives, if they can make field goals, you know, this could absolutely be a much different contest. They're going to need to do that because their defense hasn't really shown a proclivity for, I, I guess, necessarily playing 60 minutes of football and getting those stops without turnovers. So that is absolutely going to have to be the case. And then on the opposite side of that, Anthony Richardson is going to have to play turnover free football. If he doesn't, Florida is going to be shooting themselves in the foot all game long and have to rely on him to air it out. And like I said, that's something that he still needs to work on the downfield passing game, timing with his receivers, making sure that he's making the right decision. That is going to be a huge factor on Saturday. And, you know, when he talked earlier this week, he said that he was a lot more nervous in that first contest when he was in Jacksonville. I mean, it was his first start and he on Wednesday before that game wasn't certain that he was going to start him and Emory Jones were both preparing as the starter. And, you know, Emory Jones even goes into that game there late when Richardson picked up that, I think, you know, concussion like symptoms or whatever it was. I think that if he is able to maintain his composure in the pocket, let the game come to him, so to speak here, 
Florida's going to have a chance as long as they can run the football, minimize their errors, and play sound defense. I know that kind of sounds like an obvious formula to success for a lot of teams here, but especially for a team that has struggled in all those aspects, to be able to do all that stuff, I think gives them a chance because you look at the strengths of this team. We talked so often about what this team's not doing well. I think that you can hear me and think that I don't think that this team has anything promising. You know, Ventrell Miller is an extremely sound linebacker. Javon Dexter is one of the better defensive tackles in college football. I think he'd be even better if there was more depth behind him because I think you see his usage. It kind of correlates with a decline in his efficiency as he has to play 50-plus snaps in a game. It gets a little bit more difficult for him to cause the havoc that he's used to causing in there for the first two quarters of football. Brenton Cox, I think that he's a fantastic edge rusher. Does he need to improve in some regards? I think that he'd be adamant about that. I mean, there were a few plays earlier this season where if he had just got to the quarterback or if he had just played contain, they would have got off the field here, and it's an entirely different ballgame, so to speak. So I think that absolutely that's three guys in your front seven that are very capable, and they have experience in the secondary. Jason Marshall Jr. is a former five-star guy. They have really you know, promising pieces at safety, five-star Kamari Wilson, another five-star linebacker in Shamar James. A lot of guys highly rated by 247 Sports, and I think that when you look at them and you look at having a new defensive coordinator and the improvements they've already made, if some of those guys can get in the game and build upon what they've already done this season, this is really anyone's ball game. You know, I'm I'm certain that three weeks ago, four weeks ago, people were sitting here talking about this Georgia-Missouri game, saying the Tigers have no chance. They've been all over the field. Georgia is going to put 40-plus on them, and then you get under the lights in Missouri, and it's you actually got to play the game in between the lines. So I think that once – we absolutely get here on Saturday, either what a lot of people think will be confirmed that this could be a dominant Georgia win, or this is going to be another highly ranked matchup in the you know record books, history books, really, for the Florida-Georgia matchup, where you have a dynamic quarterback on both, both team weapons, uh, a team both ranked within the top 12 of 247 Sports' talent composite. This could really be an interesting one here. And I'm not really willing to say that Florida has no chance going into this game, even though I just kind of sat here for 30 minutes and talked about everything that they've done wrong this season up to this point. I mean, that's how it goes. You mentioned that Missouri game. I think it's important for fans of both fan bases to remember Missouri was coming off of maybe the ugliest loss I've ever seen. The loss to Auburn, where they literally gave the game away, dropping the ball in the end zone at the end. So, I mean, you're right, and, and, you know, we can go through the record books, go through the history. There have been so many games where people went into Jacksonville and said, oh, Florida's got this one, or, oh, Georgia's got this one, and it doesn't work out the way, that way. You know, Stetson Bennett is a guy that grew up in South Georgia, and I thought he hit the nail on the head on Monday. When these teams play, you got to throw out the record books just because you just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, looking at the Georgia perspective, for me, what needs to go right we harped on it earlier, turnovers. They just can't have turnovers, particularly early, because it really seems like in those two games, which, as someone mentioned in the comments, Georgia still won those games. So, you know, obviously that uh, needs to be accounted for. But they, they turned the ball over early, and it really seemed like they were kind of chasing to get back on track to get, you know, the situation back in order. Um, and then other than that, you know, I think it's all about limiting explosive plays. I think if they can really affect Anthony Richardson early, 
you know, get guys like Michael Williams, who's a five star. Um, get, you know, even some of the interior guys like Zion Logue, um, you know, the guys that they count on, uh, Nazir Stackhouse as well inside, and, and get guys like Nolan Smith, who made some big plays in this game a year ago. If they can get guys like that after Anthony Richardson, I think it's going to do Georgia a world of good as far as making sure this isn't a four-quarter game because we know what this game means to both teams. You know, Kirby Smart has talked a ton about that. And last year, you know, some of the audio got out from his halftime speech. And you could tell, you know, he's a former Georgia player. He's walked off the field in Jacksonville with a loss. He knows what this game means. You know, I think they come into this game understanding the importance of this game, even with, you know, there has legitimately been people asking, well, could this be a a look-ahead situation with Tennessee up next? I just think too many people on this Georgia team understand what this game means understand the mission of going 1-0 each week. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that this thing's going to get out of hand quick, but I do think that Georgia's going to take Florida seriously. Uh, I'm going to say that Georgia wins 38-17. I think they just missed covering this game. I think Anthony Richardson is going to make some plays, but I keep coming back to the Florida defense. I'm just not convinced, especially early. Um, In the games where Georgia's really been rolling on offense, they have come out firing. And they did against Vanderbilt, which, again, granted, it's Vanderbilt. But four touchdowns on the first five drives. It was kind of more of what we had seen early in the year against Oregon and South Carolina of taking advantage of early possession. So I'm going to say Georgia wins this one 38-17 and uh, takes care of business before what could very well be a top-five matchup at home next week against Tennessee. Yeah, the big question I have is whether Georgia is possibly looking ahead That's something that no one really talks about, because when you talk about this Florida-Georgia matchup, you sit here and say, well, how can these teams not anticipate this one all year long? But I think when you look at where Florida is at, how they've struggled, how Georgia may be looking to the fact that they're going to host a number three ranked Tennessee team here that is absolutely going to determine the SEC East and is going to have a much bigger factor in my mind in who will go to the college football playoff than this game will. And that's not something that we've been able to say here in, I mean, how long? I don't really know. I think that when you look at the fact that Georgia is going to have to absolutely try and look at Hendon Hooker and what he does well and try and stop him, and they're going to be without Jalen Carter, this one absolutely could be a lot closer than many people are expecting. But I'm not going that way. I am still picking Georgia to win by several touchdowns when I made my prediction on Swamp 247's Select the SEC earlier today. I went with Georgia to win 41-20, to just like you, a 21-point win for the Dogs, but they don't cover. I think that when you look at just what they have on offense, their replacements, and how well that they've recruited on defense, and then I got to mention this because you mentioned it on the CFB Daily Podcast yesterday. When we all heard that clip that leaked of Kirby Smart's halftime locker room, I think a lot of people, even if they were not fans of Georgia, I'm not saying Florida fans loved it by any means because it kind of came at the expense of their team, but it's hard to hear that and not come away with the belief that this guy really cares about this game and winning this game in particular. And obviously, that makes sense. Someone who played it has been in the SEC for a long time, has won national championships as an assistant, and now as a head coach. This one means a lot. 
to him. And you heard that last year. And I just don't know if Florida is able to send a message like that right now when they have a guy in Billy Napier who hasn't been to the game, not to criticize him or say that he doesn't, doesn't understand the gravity of the moment. That's not what I'm saying. But Florida has to focus so much more right now on individual improvements that I don't, don't think that they can sit here and say, let's point at the scoreboard when the other team's talking because that's not something that Florida's been able to say too often this season. And they really have to focus on what they can do improvement-wise more so than winning a rivalry bout, so to speak. You zigged when I thought you were going to zag, Graham, really setting up that score prediction. Well, let's get ready to get out of here. But first, Graham, uh, just shout out anything you guys are working on, whether it's podcasts, stories, just getting ready for the big game on Saturday. Yeah, a lot of recruiting news coming out as well. Make sure you stay tuned to Swamp 247. Obviously, we're recruiting, recording this midday Thursday right now. We'll have a lot of recruiting coverage coming later tonight as well, throughout the weekend as well. We'll be covering the Florida-Georgia baseball exhibition in Jacksonville there on Friday night, getting in a little bit early. And as well, some other coverage of the team coming out in the coming days. We wrote about uh, Billy Napier and the relationship that he had with Kirby Smart, their dad's coaching in the state of Georgia high school football, and what led uh, Napier to kind of bounce back after being um, a little bit down, so to speak, after being dismissed at Clemson. So check that out at Swamp 247. A lot of basketball recruiting as well as Florida basketball looks forward to the next season. I know that you guys right there as well are in the middle of covering Mike White's first year there in Athens. So a lot of stuff coming out later this weekend and every single day at Swamp 247. Make sure you check it out. Very similar situation here. Got all kinds of recruiting news like we talked about earlier in the episode with uh recruits being able to attend this game on the Georgia side. Um, so all kinds of content coming up before they kick it off at three 30, but we're going to wrap this episode up here. appreciate Graham for taking the time uh, to talk. I appreciate everybody who is listening live and also listening after the fact we got, we appreciate all of y'all support um, and allowing us to do what we do. So uh, for Graham Hall, I am Jordan Hill. Appreciate everybody tuning in and listening and until next time, take care.